Uh, so we are trawling through Matthew and um, we are on Matthew chapter 13 and we are looking at the parable of the weeds. So um, this is going to be verse 24 onwards. Uh, a parable that has been uh, misinterpreted many, many times over the years. Uh, so I'm going to try and give as clear an explanation of this as we can. It's the parable in broad brushstrokes of the wheat and the tares, uh, or the wheat and the weeds, or if you're into agriculture, the wheat and the false wheat, or whatever you want to call it, uh, depending on what version you're reading. Um, massively misinterpreted, trying to have a clear view on this and see where we go with it. Suffice to say um, that churches throughout history uh, who take the Bible very seriously, as I think we do, or at least try to, um, have slipped into probably what is a catastrophic error of policing people to keep to keep the doctrine pure, to preserve the church from weirdness. Uh, so, for instance, uh, the Spanish Inquisition would be one thing, where um, Ferdinand II of Aragon in, I think it was 1478, and Isabella I, his wife, uh, started the Spanish Inquisition, which many people think resulted in hundreds of thousands of people being tortured and burned to keep the Catholic Church pure, but actually it lasted about a few hundred years, it was about 1834 or something. Did you know that? The Spanish Inquisition, Inquisition actually went on to about the 18, mid-1800s, and they killed about 5,000 people, uh, and it was all around in that time, and it was all around keeping the church pure. So they would, they would hoist in people they thought were like deviant Catholics. And, and they, there were rules around the interrogations, but they would interrogate them to make sure that you are, you are not living with false doctrine. And if they thought that you were, there would be various measures to make sure that you were a proper Catholic. You know, it might be you have to say so many Hail Marys or do some act of penitence, or they'll kill you if you thought you were like an irretrievable like basket case in terms of the Catholic Church. And that happened for several hundred years. Cheery stuff, this isn't it? And then uh, throughout history, you had people like the Puritan movement. You've heard of the Puritan movement where I, I believe the story is told a man called Captain Kimball who'd been at sea, I think it was in the 1600s in America, he'd been at sea for three years as a Puritan adventurer, merchant, sailor, got off his boat and his wife was waiting for him at the dock. And he did what all romantic men would do who'd been separated from their wives for three years. He jumped off the ship and ran over to his wife and gave her a kiss on the cheek. And do you know what they did to him? They put him in a stocks for two weeks because you weren't allowed to kiss your wife in public as a Puritan because it was all around preserving godliness and holiness. And then, of course, you've got churches that practice closed communion. Have you heard of that? You know, like we take communion, we say, like, we don't police you. We don't. Andrew, Dan and I, we don't think we're spiritual policemen. More on that later. But we wouldn't, we wouldn't like, hand out a token to say you can take communion. Like some people have done that through history. We would simply trust it between you and God and say, 
if you love the Lord Jesus or, you know, as far as you're aware, you love Jesus, then please come and take communion with us. You know, that, but some churches, Plymouth Brethren or Strict Baptists, etc., practice closed communion where you're kind of welcome to come and worship with people. But when it comes to some of the sacraments, you wouldn't be allowed unless we've validated you. You know, I would, you know, we've just baptized Rich last week. And I think we just sit down and make sure he's definitely proper before we baptize him. Put him for a few years of interrogation, indoctrination, and then we give him a little communion token and let him have communion with us. And it's all about, it actually comes not from wickedness, it all comes from people wanting to keep the church absolutely pure and holy and not offend God. That's actually where it comes. It's a misinterpretation of just trying not to offend the Lord. And then you come to a parable like Matthew 13, where Jesus has a markedly different approach. So I'm going to read it, and then we're going to skip to his explanation, and then we'll draw a few points out of it. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. And when the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered. Because while you were pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Verse 36. Then he left the crowd and went into his house. And his disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And he answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is at the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin, and all who do evil. And then they will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteousness will... The righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. I mean, that's, that's pretty tough stuff. You know, there's, there's not much opportunity for a little bit of family RK humor when you're reading that, is there? That's pretty hard hitting. And, you know, churches don't often talk about judgment and hell and that kind of stuff and separate them but we're committed to teaching the Bible so we have to look at it 
and try and understand it the best way we can. So I suggest what we do now is we just simply pause and pray and ask God to open our hearts and for the Holy Spirit to speak to us and that anything I say that's of the flesh falls to the ground and what's of the Spirit lives on in us. So let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Help us to understand your word, God, in a way that brings life and hope and peace. We believe that every word you've given us is there for a purpose. And help us to draw truth out of this. Even, even as I speak now, I pray you drop new insights into my heart, our, our, all our hearts collectively. Speak to us, God. We're all your children. We, we just want to be more like you and serve you as a disciple in the best way that we can and live lives that please you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, one really important thing to say here is um, I think Jesus is trying to teach us something about the way we conduct ourselves and the way that we operate together uh, I don't know about you but I I have a serious weed issue in my garden um, which I try to attend to when the pets aren't around with Roundup Instead, I have concentrated Roundup lethal Roundup double dose, triple dose Roundup uh, concentrate and and I I when I first used it I was a little bit blase and I I just sort of wafting around or with a, with abandon spraying my roundup everywhere and spilling over the patio and walking through it and then spraying other bits and uh, I'm always under instructions to do this when the pets are asleep which is more often now they're nearly dead and sort of just lounging around um, because we don't want to we don't want an untimely Roundup death of flick or cocoa, apparently. Um, so I did that. The first time I, I did that, um, I was quite pleased. You know, I was expecting instant weed death, but it apparently it does take a couple of weeks. And then I was looking out of my garden one day on some new turf that we just had laid, and it seemed apparent that I there were there were footprint shapes of dead thing, dead grass all over my garden, um, where, where I've been walking around in circles and weird patterns, <laughs> indiscriminately spraying my weed killer. Um, and I did learn a lesson on that day, that if you're using Roundup, particularly the concentrated form in your sprayer, be more targeted. Don't be blase, because you will kill your laurels and your lawn and other things, and potentially, of course, your pets. And Jesus is not telling us not to spray Roundup indiscriminately. He's simply saying this. Sometimes it's hard to distinguish between the wheat and the tares. They can look, in fact, I pulled a picture off Google, uh, which I believe is right. There we go. Uh, in the early stages of growth, at least, I'm sure there's some, I mean, our church is so full of, weird and diverse occupation. Someone here is probably a tears expert or something. So just bear with me, just in case you are, just, just bite your lip. As far as I'm aware, in the early stages of growth, it does look rather similar. In fact, tears are called false wheat. And as they're in the early stage, at least, it looks pretty much the same. And I did extensively read up on this uh, this morning for five minutes, just to make sure of my facts. And there were various farmers on forums 
explaining that it does look very similar. And it's very hard to make that separation if you, Jesus said it. I mean, Jesus came from an agrarian society. They were all farming all the time and growing their own crops. And if you try to pull up the tares with the wheat, you're going to pull it all, all up. So Jesus said, you know, don't, don't do that. You know, don't, don't, don't try and root out evil in that way and, and kill stuff. Jesus says, let's, you know, don't, don't do weed killer in the church. Let it grow. Let it grow. Let, let the bad stuff grow alongside the good stuff. It's quite challenging. And let it grow. And God says, it's very clear. I'll deal with it. I'll, I'll deal with that. That's why, you know, any spiritual leader I've mentored over the years, and in this church eldership, I keep saying all the time, we're not policemen. That's not our role. Our, we point to Christ, and we point beyond ourselves to Christ. We try and keep the temperature hot, and we teach truth, and we create an atmosphere of worship, or at least try to, and we pray for God's people, and we point towards the best, and all of those good things. But we're not policemen. We're not trying to, we're not like Puritans. We are not the RK Inquisition as elders. That's, that's not how it works in a church, as far as I can see. And it's not how the world works. I mean, Jesus is actually not just talking about individual churches. He's talking about the world. Evil and good, what is of the kingdom and what is of Satan, will grow alongside each other. And sometimes it's obvious uh, when you look at that and you look at the parable, it's going to be very hard to distinguish what's of God and what's not. And that's, that's interesting. It's very hard to see where our motives lie and where someone's really at. And that has to be between you and God, doesn't it? So I thought, how do I tackle this? Uh, so I thought, well, well, we'll try and do two things in brief. We'll try and look at how we can avoid being the false wheat or the tares because you may even sleepwalk into being like that so let's look at how we avoid doing that and let's look at how we can actually try and grow together even though there might be weirdness and even as the Bible says wickedness amongst us even in a church that's you know even in RK that could happen and as we grow you know, including kids now, Karen's just done the done done our you know, we keep up with our directory. There's two hundred and twenty six of us actually, including kids when we all pitch up, who attend about every every about twice a month. And all sorts of things happening, a life happening. You can't police all of that. You know, you we're gonna have a church of five, six hundred in the next three years. You just have to keep pointing to Christ, keep looking to Jesus, keep in prayer, keep worshipping keep reading our Bibles, keep trying to bear fruit and just see what God does. As soon as you go down the Spanish Inquisition route, you're stuffed. So let's look at how we avoid being the tears and how we can grow together. And I've just got a few very simple points and, uh, and a couple of things to read out to you. Uh, as occurred to me as I prayed about this yesterday, just took a bit of time out to have a look at it yesterday. Number one, and this is obvious, it means that we are never going to have as much as it pains me to say this, the perfect church. And I'm sure you already knew that. But there is going to be wheat and there are going to be tears. And here's, 
a startling revelation that I came to yesterday. The church is actually full of people. And people can be really weird, including myself. And people are mostly normal and really cool until you really start getting to know them. And then when you really start getting to know them, you realize that actually they've got some weird bits. But they think the same about you. And most of us have loads of blind spots. And by definition, they're blind, so we don't know we got them. Now, the role of eldership actually isn't, isn't, isn't to police, actually, but sometimes it's to expose the blind spots so we all grow well together. But we are not going to have the perfect church. So here's a few thoughts. You are, at times, by coming to our church, going to be annoyed by people. That is a fact. And I reckon, over the last nearly three years, some of you might have secretly been annoyed already. Maybe even by things that I have done or Andrew, or Dan, or any of the trustees, or even maybe the person sitting next to you. That may have happened. Don't now think that the person sitting next to you is a weed. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we are not going to have the perfect church. And yes, stuff will happen that will hurt you by your brothers and sisters in this room right now or those who are missing that, that's, that's going to happen it's absolutely inevitable and yes you are going to be disappointed at some point by decision by something that's said by the way a Sunday meeting went hey that's life you know, that's what it means to be a fragile, broken, sinful person saved by grace. And the way I think of it, we're just all broken people trying to do our best by God, being slowly healed by God, boshing along together, doing the best we can. And within that, there's so much potential for weirdness, hurt, heartbreak, disappointment, but hey, we're this side of eternity and we're doing the best we can. And there will be situations where some of you will even look upon someone's life and you'll think, how can that person possibly be a follower of Jesus? Surely that person is a tear. Surely that person's a weed. Or why don't the elders just deal with that? It's because sometimes some of us might have a view through pastoral work of a situation or an element of brokenness that you might not have and that's where trust needs to come in and patience needs to come in we all bear with one another in love and I'm, I'm going to try and take time later it may be 10 minutes time to draw a diagram live this is a new departure Panto is back to explain that uh, I'm going to try and explain the kind of pastoral philosophy that I've lived by in church leadership for the last 20 years. 
I'm going to try and explain it. It could go horrifically wrong, but we'll do our, our best. This means, point two, that we need to exercise grace more than judgment. Exercise your grace muscles far more than your judgment muscles. This is how you avoid, you know, this is how you deal with being in a church where there is wheat and tares. It falls under that category. Exercise grace. Proverbs 12.6 says, a wise person overlooks an insult. Jesus said, look at your plank in your own eye first. I'm saying to you, forgive quickly. Don't judge. Be full of grace. Trust God. Trust the leadership. Trust each other. Keep short accounts. Sometimes we need to have the last 5% conversation. That, you know, and sometimes it's a leadership role. One of the most painful things I find in leadership is you have to say the last 5%. Just to keep the air clear. Not to police, but to keep the air clear. But let's just give the benefit of the doubt and believe the best as much as we can. Point three. Watch your own life and doctrine, it says in 1 Timothy 4.16 not everyone else's. Just just look after your bit in your family and go by what you believe is the best. Now, I have a responsibility as a Bible teacher and as a ministry leader uh, for a job to teach what I believe to be true. I'm acutely aware that when I do that, I come from a certain perspective and I'm teaching what I believe to be right for our church and, and as elders, the position that we would hold. However, I'm acutely aware that there will be people sitting out there who don't agree, who are working out their own position on these things. Do you know what I think? That's absolutely fine. I'm not, I don't want a church full of conformists who are all saying yes to everything we're saying. I feel I have a responsibility to teach the truth. But how boring would it be? It'd be like some dystopian, apocalyptic 1984 Orwellian nightmare. Well, that's, a, that's tweetable. Church, if we all agreed the same stuff. So, look, if I say something, I mean, I'm generally kind of like a reformed evangelical charismatic, if you're into labels, sort of, with a little bit of fluff around the edges on occasion just for panache but that doesn't mean to say that I'm not dialogue and there are things I believe years ago that I don't think are true anymore because we journey together so please don't think if you hear some teaching from the front that you can't hold an alternative opinion what I'd love to do is talk with you let's let's work it out let's pray together that's how wheat and tares live side by side or wheat or tares become wheat actually or soil conditions change. And I, there might be views that I hold that aren't right. I, I've actually had to apologize from the front before in a church where I've taught things and then come back and said, do you know what, I used to say this, and I apologize, I don't think it's right, I need you to forgive me. I don't think that's the truth. Now, it's that grace that keeps us going. I would also say this though, point four, that as a church, what I really want to do is stay focused on the primary issues, which is lifting out the cross, proclaiming Christ, transformation, welcoming all people, 
loving the unlovable, serving the poor, you know, reaching out into marginalised areas of society. Let, let's, let's keep the real thing the real thing and let's avoid foolish controversies that are going to take us absolutely nowhere. In fact, Paul said this too, didn't he? The Bible says this to avoid foolish controversies. You know, avoid getting bogged down by genealogies, arguments and quarrels about the law. The Bible says because they're unprofitable and useless. Now, I think that's true. Keep the main thing the main thing. Let's talk about what Jesus is doing. And I remember years ago, I'm sure like I told you this before, I've had people coming and moaning at me about volume and chairs and colour of paint on the walls and I even walked into once an office in a church where there was literally a stand-up row over the coffee. I've actually seen that happen over the urns for the coffee. For goodness sake, you know, there's a world dying without Jesus and we get more concerned about the coffee than the fact there's still people who are homeless. And I actually said to a dear sister in Christ once, apologies if you heard this before, but a dear sister in Christ, who's a beautiful woman of God, who came in to moan at me about the redecoration of our church foyer. I was like, I mean, she's a beautiful, godly woman, and she really chipped up about the paint. And, and I'm like, <laughs> so I just said to her, I, never, I don't want to talk to you anymore. She said, what? I said, I really, I don't want to, I want to finish this conversation, and I don't really want to talk to you again. She went, how I thought it's a bad moment. It's why I'm an evangelist and not a pastor. And I, I just said, I said, it's because I want to talk to you about the fact there's still people in our community dying without Jesus. There's still people setting a big issue. There's still, you know, there's, there's care in the community of housing that's massively underfunded. And our church is not bursting at the seams with people discovering Jesus. And when you come in and you're as passionate about those things as the color of the foyer, then I'll talk to you endlessly about the color of the foyer as well. She said, oh, disgraceful. That's what I find this conversation disgraceful too. Then I got told off by the elders and we all made up. And it was great. But the principle holds. The principle holds. Let's be concerned about the main thing. That's how we, that's how we stay wheaty and Christ-pleasing. I'm going to read this out. Not everyone's going to like this. But I'm going to read out a brilliant letter because I do like my military history. And this is a letter from the... Just bear, bear with, Miranda would say. Bear with the opening paragraphs. This is a letter from the Duke of Wellington dispatched from Spain in August 1812. Are you ready? It's fantastic. Gentlemen, while marching from Portugal to a position which commands the approach to Madrid... In case anyone's wondering, Duke of Wellington was like a general of war. Here we go. Well, approached to Madrid and the French forces, my officers have been diligently complying with your request, which have been sent by His Majesty's ship from London to Lisbon and thence by dispatch to our headquarters. We have enumerated our saddles, bridles, tent, tent poles, and all manner of sundry items which His Majesty's government holds me accountable. I've dispatched reports on the character, wit, and spleen of every officer. Each item and every farthing has been accounted for, with two regrettable exceptions, which I beg your indulgence. Unfortunately, the sum of one shilling and ninepence remains unaccounted for in one infantry battalion's petty cash. And there has been a hideous confusion as to the number of jars of raspberry jam issued to one cavalry regiment during a sandstorm in western Spain. This reprehensible carelessness may be related to the pressure of circumstance since we are at war with France. 
a fact which may come as a bit of a surprise to you gentlemen in Whitehall. This brings me to my present purpose, which is to request elucidation of my instructions from His Majesty's Government so that I may better understand why I am dragging an army over these barren plains. I construed it perforce. It must be one or two alternative duties as given below. I shall pursue either one with the best of my ability, but I cannot do both. One, to train an army of uniformed British clerks in Spain for the benefit of the accountants and copy boys in London. Or two, perchance, to see it that the forces of Napoleon are driven out of Spain. Your most obedient servant, Wellington. I really like that. It's about keeping the main thing the main thing. Let's stay wheaty. Do you know how you can tell? I'm going to step out of the limb now. Jay can tell when the church has got, like, it's getting a bit weedy with false wheat. It's when you're trying to advance against enemy generals. And you're trying to reach the poor and the lost. The church is getting a bit messy and people are pitching up who smell a bit or they don't look like us or feel like us. And it's a bit challenging and their behaviours aren't clean and nice and middle class and we're taking ground and people's lives are being transformed and debt centres are being set up and food banks are being overstocked and beautiful things are happening and there's like weird chaos around the churches Now people are nipping out during the middle of meetings because they're booting up on heroin and all the stuff I've seen in the past actually and the spirit of God moves and he reaches into the margins of society and you're starting to really do stuff and then middle class people who are suffering with depression because of their workload and all that kind of stuff and they try to invest their lives in materialism it's not worked and they're depressed and sad and marriages are breaking up and you're starting to see marriages come back together and families being shored up and the grace of God is clearly evident. Do you know what happens? The enemy does infiltrate. It does actually because I've seen it over 20 years of leading churches and ministries. He infiltrates and he sows in the weeds and it sounds like this. Don't like that person. Mm. That person shouldn't be taking communion. Why did they baptize him? He's living with someone. Mm. And it's like that. And it chips away and it chips away and it chips away. And, and slowly hope dies and people stop being loved and boundaries go up. And that's the action of the weeds and the tears. There is a warning us. That's what happens. God is grace in this church. Lives are being transformed. And the enemy will sow in amongst us. What we do is we love each other. And we give the benefit of the doubt. And we keep the main thing the main thing. Loving the unlovable. And spending time with people who are not like us. And keeping Jesus front and centre. And the cross front and centre. And being resurrection people. Doing all that good stuff. Practicing generosity. And, and God will deal with it. But you can tell when the weeds are infiltrating. And then our job isn't to burn up the weeds and root them out and kick them out of the church. Matthew 18 says if there's a problem with someone, it actually says, you know, you talk to them and if they're not listening, you take it to the church. If you're still not working, it says treat them like a pagan or a tax collector in Matthew 18. But we read that and go, treat them like a pagan or a tax collector. That's my evil voice. Yeah. But actually, it doesn't mean that. It means they need Jesus. It means they need the gospel. So we just put our arms around them and love them back. 
keep loving people and they hate you and hurt you and you've been disappointed by someone. Do you know what you do? Do you know you take out the enemy? You love them. You show grace and you keep loving them and loving them and loving them. One of the most painful things about leadership I've had over the years is sitting in front of people who've been bad-mouthing me or stabbing me in the back or written horrible letters and I go around and have a cup of coffee and I give them a hug. It really annoys people as well, actually, when you do that. It's quite good fun. But it's a great way of just taking the heat out of it. We don't want people to be weeds, do we? We want everyone to be wheat. We want to win everyone. So concentrate, point five, on being fruitful yourself and getting stuck in. John 15, 16, you didn't choose me, but I chose you, Jesus said, and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Galatians 5, 23, just as I've been saying, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Get out there and do stuff. Get involved. Concentrate on being fruitful. Roosevelt said in his famous speech, he's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends themselves in a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, who at worst, if they fail, at least fails while daring greatly. I love this. So that his place will never be amongst those cold and timid souls who never know victory or defeat. In other words, nothing ever happened to a man or woman who didn't have a go. And you're in a fail and good stuff will happen in this church and bad stuff and we'll make mistakes, but let's get out there and do it. At least let's get stuck in and seek to be fruitful and let our light shine to be lamps on the stand, as Jesus said. And our job as elders is not to pull up the weeds, but not to police, but to help everyone grow together. And I'm going to try and show you this thing just as I finish. I'm going to experiment with a little bit of artistry. Um, I'm going to try and show you two ways that we can be church. The way that I think we should do it and the way that the church has done this for years. So let's see, ladies and gentlemen, if the uh, abstract diagram what, what is that I don't know what that is that's not me that is not me oh is it right okay no it's not working oh let's try again there we go right this is a church the boundary line is the entry point so some people are like out here, these little dashes are people, because I'm doing this with a finger. They're people. Some people are outside the church. And then they meet Jesus. And we say, for you to come in the church, you've got to do several things. You know, stop swearing, stop smoking, dress a certain way, be a certain way, look a certain way, actually. And then if you do those things, you can come into the church so that person can come in there Jesus is in the middle there that person these people can come in if you know they've joined in with us and we think yeah you're conforming that's the traditional view of church you cross the line of behavior 
Except what happens if, you know, you've, your marriage has broken down a couple of times and, or you're, you're a recovering drug addict or you are a drug addict or, you know, you, you, you've been in prison for something or your life just isn't clean and you walk, you're, just not, you're just not middle class clean. Do you know what I mean? You just don't smell nice. I mean it. Like, you just don't fit and you're not used to interaction. I mean, like, to come in here, I mean, it takes a bit of guts, right? Well, I'm an introvert, believe it or not. I mean, I am. And it takes a bit of guts to walk into a packed place with people you don't know. But what if you've not been bred to be like that? Like, that's not been your background and stuff, and you, all kinds of ungodly things are happening. I've got people that are very close to me who are loads of carnage in their lives and they're just not not conforming to where the church is so that's that now i need to now rub this out there we go look at that just high tech isn't it i hope you're liking this because it, it took us ages so poor poor andy right or church can look like this That's Redeemer King. And that's the Lord in the middle. That's Jesus in the center. And some people are like here. They're like out here. And some people are like might be here. Some people might be here. And like this person might be there. And let's let's look at this person here. This person is facing Jesus that, that, but that's an arrow pointing into the center from way out here and it's way out there because this person let's call them Jackie Jackie's a single mum and she's a habitual user of amphetamines and cannabis and she's pretty broken really loads of debt quite promiscuous bit sweary and then she bumps into a Christian and then she treats it to Jesus and so there's fruit of repentance and the fruit of repentance is I'm not going to take amphetamines anymore but I still do a bit of weed and my language is a bit off but she wouldn't say that but that's just the fact but she's showing fruit of repentance she is heading towards Jesus isn't she because she's making changes so the arms of the church come around her and to you, some of you, she might look like a tear. But actually, she's not. She's in her heart. She's given her life to Christ. She's on a journey. And that's why we need to grow together and not police, Jesus said. Because you just don't know what you're facing. We might know as pastors, but we don't all know. And gradually, our job is to keep the temperature hot, all of us, and point beyond ourselves to Jesus and keep loving her and drawing her into the center and slowly behavior changes. But then you've got someone like this. And this person here is called Bernard. And Bernard has been the church secretary of, of Ealing Baptist Church for 30 million years. And he does all sorts of godly things. But then we found, and he's a man of God, and he's served the church diligently for years. But then we found out he's been 
flirting a little bit outside of his marriage and he's nipping around the back of the bike sheds and having a, a cheeky Benton and Edges and he's, he's gone off the boil. Well, you expect more from Bernard, don't you? Because he's been a church secretary since, you know, 1864. And he's been walking with the Lord a long time. So actually, he's heading out. And he might have even removed himself from fellowship because of his behavior and his actions. So how can you have someone like Jackie right out there who's smoking a lot of weed, embraced by the church, but Bernard, the 30,000-year-old church secretary, has like removed himself from the fellowship, actually, because more has been expected, you see. So it's all about whether you're heading in or you're heading out. And you can have people at all different stages, and that's called life. It's really messy, and it's not clean, and it's not easy. And our job as elders and your job with us is to keep the temperature hot, keep loving people, keep, keep shepherding people towards the center called Jesus Christ and understanding that all people are at different stages and what, more, might, what might look like weed is actually wheat and what you think is wheat might actually be weeds. So Jesus says, let it go, I know. Your job is to keep loving keep telling people and keep proclaiming and keep the centre hot. So I'll finish by asking you four questions to go away with. Are you fruitful? So you avoid being weak. Weed. Are you fruitful for Jesus? Do you love God? Do you love God? Do you love people? No matter what. Do you, do you have a heart of compassion for people that God has made? And are you involved? Get involved. It's so easy to become weeds by sniping from the edges. It's actually when you get involved that things change. Simple as that. Are you fruitful? Do you love God? Do you love people? Are you involved? tell you what I think God will do the rest at the end and there will be a judgment and there will be a separation the Bible is absolutely clear about that I believe that but my goodness me let's get the temperature so hot that we take a whole bunch of people with us to heaven one day right let's just get a whole bunch of people there and a whole bunch of people that some people might look on and think ew I didn't think they were very godly <laughs> but actually they were because their hearts are for Jesus and they came from such brokenness, but like, we got them in and they're with us in the new heavens and the new earth. And so we look back one day and think, wow, that is worth all that pain, all that heartache, all that disappointment, hanging in there with the church. The wheat and the weeds grew together, but we had a shed load more wheat. And we, we took out enemy generals and we, a whole load of stuff that the enemy tried to sow in, we dealt with. We, we, we had a good harvest in the end, actually. That's what I want to do one day look back with you lot in heaven and go well that was a bit of a ride that look at all these people who have come to Christ all these people that we helped and we loved so in other words what I'm saying is we're going to have to put up with a lot of weirdness from each other it's good though isn't it more fun that way let's pray help our hearts to be in line with your heart God help us to be wheat 
Help us to be gracious to one another and forbear with one another, be patient. Help us to be fruitful. Fill our hearts with love. Do a work of your spirit, we pray. Help us, God. We know we can't do this without your spirit at work in our lives. We just can't. Without you, I'm so full of judgment and sin and rubbish. But with you, our hearts can radically change. To help us to be your people and please you, we pray. And we do honestly ask you, God, that one day at the end of all things, we look back and we'd be there as a family together, a whole bunch of people, saved by grace, loved by you, all because of Jesus. And we again acknowledge, only because of your grace, God, only because of the cross, the resurrection of Jesus, can any of this be possible. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.